0: Um, hi I'm Frankie Nufia. I am the founding director of Nyawa, a mental health aid organization. I just graduated with a master's in neuroscience from the University College London. I previously was a Pradyan Fellow and then I worked in the Cabinet Minister's office as well. So that is my experience in politics. As
1: I've mentioned earlier, the topic we are discussing today is Malaysian politics <clears throat> from a political psychology perspective and what do we need to expect from that? So before we dive in deeper, Farheen, please do us the honour to explain what political psychology is.
0: Okay, so political psychology, to put simply, is just a way to understand politics, politicians and political behaviour through a psychological lens. So this would encompass something like voting behaviour and how it could be mapped on to personality types. And so an example of this would be Cambridge Analytical, the infamous Cambridge Analytical, which used okay. um, the big five personalities to predict people's voting tendencies.
1: Okay, so um, the, the Cambridge formula that you mentioned just now, is it relevant to the Malaysians generally?
0: It's harder to predict through the big five um, theories, because this is obviously mapped onto left and right wing behaviors. And I think we'll discuss later on a bit about how this is not necessarily a framework that is as relevant to our democracy, because we don't have a clear right left wing divide, but I'm sure they can use it to understand people's proclivity to support certain political stances um, based on issues. So it's more of an issue-based support than um, supporting one party according to um, your personality type.
1: Okay, issue-based support, got it. Yeah. Okay, so um, to those who are still a bit confused, no worries. Um, I'm also really new to this topic as well. So we we'll both try our best to break it down so that it's easy for all of you guys to understand. And I think the best way to break this down is to just analyze one political um, event that has happened happened in Malaysia. So let's talk about Lanka Sheraton. Um I feel like this was a big whole Malaysian drama. If you want if anyone wants to do a Malaysian documentary on it. I think it would be a hit on Netflix. I don't know. But anyway, let's move on and talk about this. And yeah, let's start with the first question for him. Do you um uh, I think the first question is basically um how uh the root of Lanka Sheraton, how it all started which was when um, Tun M suddenly decided to resign and build a unity government. So, Farhin, please walk us through that.
0: There were so many factors at play here that were behind the scenes. So I think that only Tun Mahadi himself would know why he suddenly resigned. The fact of the matter is that it has always been part of the deal for Tun Mahadi to step down and make way for Anwar Ibrahim to lead the Pakatan Harapan government. Why... Did, that did not happen in that exact way? We don't know. What
1: do you think led to the formation of the new coalition prior to Lanka Sheraton? And why did we have these particular political alliances? So I think uh, maybe we should start with the first question first the formation of the new coalition.
0: So prior to Tomahade's resignation, there were already signs that PKR was fractured, which I believe culminated when attempting to reach a consensus for a new prime minister. The whole fiasco to me is a symptom, not the cause of Pakataharapan's instability at the time, which is less of a criticism towards the previous Pakata Harapan coalition per se, but more of a symptom of Malaysia's immature democratic system overall. I believe that this series of events were unavoidable bumps on the road to deepening our democracy with the formation of stronger alliances, the recent enactment of anti-hopping laws, and so on. So it is less psychological and more of um, immaturity of the democratic system overall, in my opinion.
1: Okay, okay. Understood. So basically, you feel like all these events needed to happen so that, you know, we could further secure our democratic system. Okay, understood. So, um, why these political alliances? Like, what do you think of that?
0: This had to do with at least based on what we know of the situation, I think most people can draw the conclusion that this is mostly based on uh, personal alliances more than it has to do with um, stances on respective issues and so on.
1: Okay, so basically it's a personal alliance thing. It's not really much on the stance on the particular issue.
0: Yes, and I think that you would draw that conclusion as well, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I do agree. I mean, I want to know if, let's say, yeah, your, your perspective is different, you know. But okay, understood. Moving on to our third question. What do you think went wrong with um, Pakatan Harapan? PH seemingly reformatic win. You know, like, G14 became a very memorable election for a lot of people. And I think this is something the new voters should understand. Like, during that time, the scene on social media... Every Malaysian suddenly became really patriotic and they had a really high turn um, uh, the vote out as well. So, like, what, why, uh, what do you think went wrong? You know, like everything seemed to good for a second.
0: I think the unprecedented takeover should still not be undermined. It was still a significant okay. moment in Malaysia's history. We now have a much stronger opposition, which is essential for a healthy, mature democracy. We have better media freedom with the repeal of the anti-fake news laws and so on. Although I still acknowledge that the devil is in the details here. But again, it was the alliances were not strong enough. And it is, again, the events that happened with lanka Sheratin is a good lesson, not only for us, but for the democratic system overall, so that it becomes more mature and then uh, stronger alliances would form and then um so it's not just a lesson for us but also for the political parties themselves how um they would form those alliances does that make sense okay.
1: yeah it does it does no worries it does make sense i mean and i also, never really thought of it that way
0: yeah and also we are a young nation it would be unfair to compare ourselves to full liberal democracies in the west and mm, that is not yeah. A model that we will or have to replicate in Malaysia anyway. Southeast Asia is unique in this sense and we're one of the more promising democracies in the region actually.
1: Why do you think so? Why do you think they're one of the more promising democracies?
0: If you look at what's happening with the Philippines and Singapore, um, we're, our democracy is actually more mature if you look at the analysis of these democracies.
1: Okay. Okay. I've never really thought of that, like I never knew I've never really heard of a perspective where malicious democracy is like see, seems mature in any way, so yeah, that is an interesting perspective
0: it again of, we can't compare yeah, ourselves before. to we can't really compare ourselves to full liberal democracies in the west that have been around mm-hmm. for so long it for it would be areas. an un yeah it would be an uncom- unfair race for us
1: okay, okay. I do, I, I do agree with you on that as well. Why do you think certain members of the alliance changed their views post-election?
0: I think this is because, again, there isn't such a neat left-right wing divide between the coalitions on different issues. Mostly because our inter-ethnic and religious political issues are more complex than those in the West. So this is what makes Southeast Asia different. Um as a region compared to full liberal, full liberal democracies in the West. So for example, I think it's fair to say that the previous Pakatan Harapan government was the most circular and inclusive of all the governments that we've had, which does not really okay. coincide with the membership requirements, right? Mm,
1: yeah. So the
0: switch in alliances, in my opinion, was not reflective of a switch in the values of the political party itself, so it makes sense for them to form new alliances. Mm.
1: And yeah. Um. I really like what you said just now. Uh, I think we uh we do have our own set of issues, and we are very unique compared to the rest. You know, with the existence of race big politics and yeah, race and religion is plays a, plays a really big role in our politics here, right? And yeah. even though I I'm sure a lot of people would say that you know this should not be a part of politics, the reality is that it is a part of the politics. So, yeah, I think those are like factors that we still need to consider, um, especially in strengthening our democracy system. Yeah, okay. and
0: especially in becoming more proud of our nation, because um, idolizing the West is one thing, because to say that we have to model our democracy based on their existing democracy is unfair to us, not only because we are different, but that differences okay. in our politics can also be attributed to colonization. So, um, it's really unfair for us to say that, oh, we have to model that when the problems that they have created here due to colonization is what we're left with, essentially. True,
1: true, true, true. I mean, yeah, we are are taking a walk down history right here. But yes, what you say is true. I mean, like, that's how the separation of races and all even started. So, yeah, I really agree what you mean. (laughs) Okay. Uh, moving on to the next segment, which is basically on what the Rakyat needs to understand. So do you think, Farahin, if PH remained in power, would they have completed their manifesto? Because when you see the comments on like social media, like, I've been looking at over some comments at um, the social media of some PH leaders yesterday, and mm. a lot of people were saying that they would not have completed their manifesto. But some people are saying that maybe they would have because, you know, hey, they, they only had 32 months. It's not like they had the complete five years. So what do you think?
0: I think that we can look at the what the Pakatan Harapan leaders have said themselves to get this answer. So, for example, okay. Tun Mahathir himself have indicated otherwise and suggested mm-hmm. that they probably wouldn't have completed it or it's not, as in his words... Um, the bible so i do think that now that the coalition has been in government and has faced public criticism for not fulfilling their promise they would be more careful and take the manifesto more seriously
1: okay uh moving on to the last question what is your message to voters who voted for change in um you know in the uh, previous ge and what well, and these people are like, you know, I understand these people are just fed up and they're not interested in voting again this time due to the stagnation of our political scenes. So what do you think of that?
0: The stagnation, I think it's the opposite. Our current political landscape is anything but stagnant. If you're okay. suggesting that it seems tumultuous due to rapid changes in premiership, then just look at the United Kingdom. We've had five different prime ministers in the last six years. Mm, but true. then again, why should you care about voting? Well, you should consider each coalition's manifesto and how consequential these policies will be in your own life. And for many young people, myself included, we'll be voting in our kampongs. These are not the constituencies that we reside in. So most of us would naturally care more about the coalition that would take Putrajaya and not the individual MPs we're voting for. So it's important sure. to look at the prime minister candidate and the likely cabinet for each coalition, consider how much you would trust and support their leadership. And if you feel hopeless about the insignificance of your vote, remember that no matter what you do, it will never amount to anything but a single drop in a limitless ocean. But what is an ocean if not a multitude of drops? So recently, the Twitter user Tevesh publicized some interesting statistics on GE14. One of them is that more than six for more than sixty percent of the seats, the number of people who didn't vote was actually more than the winning majority. This implies that those who didn't vote could actually have swung the results. So I may be optimistic, but I would implore you to be excited and participate in our young nation's journey to a mature and healthy democracy, despite all the bumps okay. along the road. the question for okay. you, actually. Okay. So, okay. What perspective do you have about um, Lanka Sheraton and? how pessimistic warrant the warranted pessimism around voting this time around
1: Mm, wow i i did not expect to be asked (laughs) today but yeah i'm sure um for me lanka sheraton when it happened i did think that it was good in some way because even within the 22 months i was seeing a lot of instability Like, Mm -hmm. I understand, I'm a minority in Malaysia, I have faced my fair of injustices, and I really agree that we should start looking on to the minorities and giving them the same opportunities so that they can also come forward. I agree with that, but maybe Mm -hmm. I don't really agree with the method it was done, that sudden drastic change. I'm just just talking from a race perspective here, because I feel like that would be a perspective that many would understand and many would relate. So mm-hmm. um, I feel that, you know, the sudden changes, the sudden speeches of just asking people to like, you know, to give importance to like, the minorities, right? I'm not going to mention which specific race or any particular race here. Mm-hmm. It is good. I think that is what we want as a minority. Uh, obviously, I do. That is what we want to see, right? We want, pe- we want to just have our basic needs. We just want equal representation in universities. We don't want to like work so hard and get straight A's and be denied a place in the local matriculation which has been going on for years even yeah. I myself have been a victim of those kind of systems so yes we do want those kind of changes but mm-hmm. when they were bringing in these changes really fast they didn't understand that because some people in the majority were frustrated with the government they would show their frustration on us and those, those kind of frustrations may be reflected by you know negative impact or just unfair treatment in workplaces, in schools, or just in Mm -hmm. the communities around you. And I think like people don't see that people are always seeing about, people are always seeing the big picture, which is understandable. But when you see what happens to the communities, like the minorities, they are not having it easy because of the sudden so-called changes that the government want to make, to make Mm -hmm. their lives easier, you know, because of that, they are facing a lot of trouble with, um, with the majorities. And mm-hmm. I would just give a simple example, like, you know, um, a few years ago when this thing happened, a junior in school, um, in, in a school, um, I came from a boarding school where most yeah. of the demographics is, um, the majority is the Malays, Malay Muslims. Yeah. So um, my junior here, who is a non-Muslim, mm-hmm. uh, had to go through so much of bullying from mm-hmm. the Muslims because of this sudden change. If if it was not a collective effort or what, obviously this does not represent all the perspective of all Malay Muslims in Malaysia. We are not saying all Malays are racist here, people. So like, don't get fired up. But what Mm -hmm. we're trying to say is some people would use this kind of opportunities to just make the lives of the minorities even more harder. So what I'm saying is, I'm saying change is good. Please bring Mm -hmm. change. But I think people should also, the government should also look into how to make this change slowly, but, you know, surely towards the end. So I think like that is what people should think of. And also like making the changes slowly would also, I think, make some people from the majority understand what is going on. Because honestly, if you think about the majority perspective, I kind of get them as well. They feel that this is not the Malaysia that they know. They feel that this is not their country anymore and their rights are all being taken away. Mm-hmm. Even though that is not what the government is trying to do. The government is just trying to fight for equality. But come on. Even today, even in the West, people are fighting for equal rights, equal you know, equality among genders for so long. And mm-hmm. it's not an easy fight. You know, it mm-hmm. is definitely not an easy fight. So I think the government should look more into how to make Systemic changes slowly instead of like drastic ones to just show the right yet that oh we are trying to do something. I think this is not about proving to the right yet what we're doing. This is about making sure that the changes can bring lasting impact.
0: So mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I
1: feel. Yeah.
0: Um it's actually something that surprisingly I could sympathize with slightly because um I am Malay passing, but I'm actually my father is actually Chindian. And, mm. um, I grew up in a small town where I was also bullied for being other.
1: Different. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's not counting, um, the unequal rights that we have amongst the races here. So I won't get into that because it's quite a contentious thing. But with, <laughs> <laughs> with regards to the speed of the changes, I think that, um, a sp- perspective that highlights something about How it's the dominant perspective uh, in how we analyze politics lately, at least in my opinion, has been a very top down approach. So we believe that um, changes should be made from the top down, and therefore, um, if there are challenges um, or political issues, it, it should be attributed to um, top-down problems as well. So it's the people at the top that are making these changes that are wrong or uh, enacting policies that are wrong or that are problematic and so on. But another way of analysing it is that it's a bottom-up problem. And I'm not suggesting that it should be the predominant analysis, but it is something that is... um, Missing piece in our current discourse, that it could be that the policies that are enacted by the people at the top are reflective of what's going on at the bottom.
1: Before we end this, um, I just want to ask you one last question for him: Should okay. we vote or not? Yeah, should we vote? What do you think? Of, should we? Of course, we
0: should. Of course, okay. we should. Like I said, I really believe that we should be excited and participate in this journey because this is a Malaysia that we're creating. Um, it belongs to us. And despite all the bumps along the road, we're heading somewhere and we have to head there together.
1: You put it there really perfectly. <laughs> 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 okay, yeah, but I, but yeah, what for instance is correct. Um, we are all dealing with the highs and downs, the good and bad. So... Yeah, let's make sure we all participate in the journey together so that once we actually achieve a Malaysia that we want, a Malaysia that would be able to satisfy everyone despite race, religion, culture, uh, economic status, yeah, at least we would be able to feel a bit proud of ourselves. And let's just aim towards that. So, yeah, guys, please participate in the current um, upcoming general elections. Please vote. Um, even if it might seem a bit tedious, just do it. You know, you are contributing towards the development of Malaysia. You're contributing towards your development of your tanah air. So uh, please take that in mind. And with that, we will end this episode. Thank you so much, Farin, for joining us. Thank and you. We'll see, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Suara baru ini bukan negara aku, ini negara kita. Buat cerita
1: kita, buat cerita kita.